HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. If your restaurant wants to put the best on the table, look for food with the New York State Certified Seal. It's food that is grown right, right here. Learn more at certified.ny.gov. I'm Chris Kuzmi. And I'm Mary Izet. From Fomentabody. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum from the Brooklyn Kitchen, a cooking store located at 100 Frost Street in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Join me every Wednesday as I talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. Please take a moment to like this show on iTunes or any of the other uh, streaming media services you use to listen. And please reach out if you have any questions for me. You can reach me via email, harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com. And you can follow me on social media at the Foodballer. And I encourage everybody, I know you're hearing it from all over the place, uh, but it is that time of year where places like Heritage Radio, which is a nonprofit, ask you for money. So please go to our site, click on the beating heart, and help support Heritage Radio. If you become a member, there's some great great swag you uh, have access to, members-only parties, and some other fun stuff like that. Today is December 7th, 2016. It is the 75th anniversary of an important date uh, in American history, so I uh, was going to just say sort of a little bit about that. Um, It was called a date which will live in infamy. People often misquote that as a day, but is a date which will live in infamy. Um, On December 7th, 1941, the U.S. Naval Fleet at Pearl Harbor was attacked out of the blue by the Japanese Navy and their uh, Air Force. Today's a day which we remember the beginning of U.S. involvement in the Second World War. It was a call to action and a mobilizing of intense nationalism and a huge effort to support the country in wartime. This country came together and worked to supply the war effort. Tin can drives, which were the precursor to modern recycling, saving paper and more. My father, who was born in 1943, was dressed in girls' clothes as a boy because all of the denim and other boys' fabrics were going to the war effort. People were told to grow their own food, make pickles, and save twine to be thrifty. We came together as a country to fight against those who were attacking us and those who were doing horrible things to others in Europe. When I was a boy, I remember a lot of talk about World War II, which seems to have faded in recent years, because those who were alive at the time talked a lot about it and were a lot younger than they are now. Winning the war brought on what many believe to have been a golden era in the United States, what we now call the good old days of manufacturing and prosperity. 
We're now in the longest war in U.S. history with troops in Afghanistan. That war has been going on since 2001. World War II lasted less than four years. We have no national unity around the war in Afghanistan, and many, myself included, see almost no day-to-day effect of that war compared to what people saw when they lived here in World War II. Perhaps we would have been better served by national propaganda and mobilization and a swift end. Our collective memory of wartime at home is fading, as people who were children during World War II are now well into their 80s, and all of the veterans that served in that war are well into their 90s. Let us not forget this day and those who served. Today, episode number 55 of Feast Your Ears, and I'm really, really pleased to have in the studio with me Matt Levy of Levy's Unique New York and also of the Covert Cocktail Club. Thanks for joining me, Matt. Thanks so much, Harry. Pleasure to be here. Um, It's hard to say that, Levy's Unique New York. I had to sort of practice before the show. (laughs) Well, we were originally called Vintage New York Tours, and that seemed kind of old and musty and didn't fully represent the kinds of engaging tours of New York City that we do. So a few years into being Vintage New York Tours and not getting much business out of it, we rebranded, and we were like, Levy's Amazing Tours? No. Levy's Awesome Tours? A little too edgy. Levy's Unique New York. And so it, it, it opened things up. So um, tell me about Levy's Unique New York. It is a tour company that's a family business. Indeed. Uh, my father, Mark Levy, and I started it together in 2003. So it's not like generations of tour guides. It's the two of us you know, plus... But your kids are going to get involved. So soon, uh, we'll you'll, have, soon you'll have three generations. It's not, pretty good. Not if my wife has anything to say about <laughs> it. But uh, <laughs> um, So it's a father-son company of private and custom guided tours of New York City. Uh, from student groups coming to New York for their class trips to I just got off the phone with five rowdy boomers from Chicago who want a a unique guided driving tour of Manhattan on Friday with a mandatory cocktail stop in the middle of the tour. My kind of clients. (laughs) Sounds sounds awesome. Yeah, we have fun. Um, so as a as a tour guide, um, you know, obviously you guys offer a number of sort of Prepackaged tours. I know yes. you have one about the gangsters of the Lower East Side. Yes. And you have a tour about also, Irish history. The gangsters of the Lower East Side, also known as the Kosher Nostra. <laughs> you could say that they put the organized into organized crime. <laughs> but um, and but you also do sort of custom. Yes, absolutely. Custom work. So, like, our, without a doubt, uh, our most popular tour is the New York City Highlights Tour. Covers Manhattan from Central Park to the Battery. It's fun. It's great. It's engaging. But it's like the Big Mac of our business. Yeah, you know, to, to use a uh, the guy just died. That guy, right? The Big Mac inventor. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. He just passed away a week or so ago. Great obit. Uh, in the Times. Any which way. Um, but we also do super awesome custom tours. For example, t- uh, back in October, I put together a two-day, 12 hours each day tour focusing on fermented, smoked, pickled, and aged foodstuffs. Right. You came to see us at the I Brooklyn Kitchen. did, in fact, come to see the Brooklyn Kitchen. And it was a hell of a tour, man. Hell of a tour. We had the best time. We had kimchi. We had kombucha. We had barrel-aged cocktails. We had all sorts of amazing stuff. And that is a very unique tour. That's awesome. What's your, what's your weirdest tour request? Or, or have you had any requests that you felt like you, in fact, couldn't um, meet? You know, yeah, yes, I have. And the tours that I couldn't do weren't for lack of interest, but for lack of content. Hmm. Uh, in so much as when someone comes to New York City uh, and they want to see something that they're really into, they want to have a tangible experience with that history. 
And in some cases, that tangible experience simply isn't there. Right. So, uh, for example, it it would be we'd be hard pressed to put together a viable sports tour of New York. Sure. We got professional sports teams. We yeah. got Yankee Stadium and uh, Shea Stadium. I'm calling it Shea Stadium. At least. I, I, I I drove past the other day and you know, I still call it Shea Stadium. Hey, look, it's Shea Stadium. <laughs> um, but people want to know about the history of sports and whether or not, and this is a, an arguable uh, 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 his, historical uh, anecdote, whether or not baseball was first ever played in Madison Square Park right. in 19-something or 1890-something, I'm a little fuzzy on the dates, is nothing to see there. Right. There's or, no plaque there. Or you go no where, where you go where Ebbets Field was. Right. It's just a building. The saddest thing about, by the way, the saddest thing about the Jackie Robinson houses at Ebbets Fields is there's a sign in the parking lot that says no ball playing. Saddest thing in the world. All right. So, like, it'd be it'd be difficult to do a sports tour of New York. Right. Um, just the other week, I did a Biggie Smalls tour of New York, of Brooklyn, in fact, for two Londoners, uh, guys of Indian descent, um, but London through and through, big in the hip hop, big in the history. And we literally went to Biggie's apartment building. We went to his high school. We went to the Jamaican beef patty place on Fulton Street. He used to hang out. Uh, went to the barbershop where he used to sell his drugs and the supermarket where he was a bag boy. That's a weird tour, but it can be done. Sure. Much more tangible. Tangible. It's all about the tangible history. Yeah. And what's your, I mean, what's your favorite tour you've ever done? Whether one, <laughs> whether one off or just one of your regulars that you really like to give. So we offer, uh, so uh, backstory, one in four American families can trace their roots to or through Brooklyn. It's the kind of statistic that tour guides love <laughs> And that is totally un- untraceable and right. unfactual. Sure, I've, I've definitely I've heard that. I've heard one in three. I've heard one in five. Hell of a statistic. Yeah. Um, so we get these tour requests. We call them Brooklyn nostalgia tours, where we get people who reach out to us, say, "Hey, my gra- my father grew up in Brooklyn. Um, he's turning eighty. Uh, he's been back to New York in the last ten, fifteen years, but never been back to Brooklyn. Never been back to his neighborhood." We want to go back to his neighborhood. We want to go back to his elementary school, his high school, uh, the the theater where he met his wife and they necked, which is always the kings, the Lowe's kings on, sure. on Flatbush. Everybody who grew up in Brooklyn went necking at the Lowe's kings. Um, it's a good it, thing it's still there. You can it's go look amazing. at it. I mean, forget about it. It's amazing. So we put these tours together. And uh, my favorite tour I did was it was with a family of eight from San Antonio where grandma and grandpa grew up in Brooklyn. And we're driving around and we're going to grandma's house. And she grew up way, way, way down like Mill Basin type Brooklyn, deep Brooklyn, man. Uh, and we pull up to this house and right on the front porch is an ultra-Orthodox family. Uh, with like the mom and like eight kids, and it was it was a Jewish holiday or something. They weren't in school, so we pulled up and we clearly looked like we were lost. And they said, "Can we help you?" And uh, the mom, uh, so I said, "Actually, my client uh, Shelley Rosenblum grew up in your house and hasn't been back in seventy years." And the mom of the family, she said, "Mishpucha, your family, <laughs> come in, come in, come in." Let me tell you, man, I'm getting goosebumps. I'm getting goosebumps. Look at that, goosebumps. (laughs) Like, everybody was in tears. I was crying. Shelly was crying. The family was crying. She was like, that's where we listened to the radio, because it was the 30s. That's where me and my brother and my sister had bunk beds. That's where we, we, we waited for Pop to come home from work. It was extraordinary. Extraordinary experience. That kind of experience, my favorite kind of a tour. That's awesome. Yeah. That's it. That's, uh, that's great. Thanks. Um, so... 
you and your father run the run the company. Um, we do. You have a bunch of other tour guides too. We do. Uh, we have a core of about I want to say like twenty uh, freelance tour guides, and we say all of our tour guides have the four E's, which are and in this order they are engaging, entertaining, uh, educational, and energetic. And that doesn't mean just because educational comes number three out of four, that doesn't mean the tour guides are a bunch of doofuses, you know? Right. It means that a good tour guide must be engaging first and foremost. Because if they're just rattling off facts and figures and names of old dead white people, nobody cares. Right. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of money. So that's, that's, that's what we do. And how many tours do you guys do in the average week? Oof. So tourism in New York City uh, is intensely seasonal especially the businesses that we're in. We don't do tours on the double-decker buses, and we don't do public tours. A public tour would be you and a bunch of your friends meet a tour guide and a bunch of strangers on right. a street corner in Chinatown on Saturday at 2 and learn about Chinatown for two hours. Right. We don't do that. All of our tours are private, meaning if it's a big group of students on a Greyhound-type motor coach, they still all know each other. Right. Or if it's a family of eight from San Antonio, Texas, coming back to Brooklyn, they know each other, and it's planned in advance. That's a private tour. So the private tour season runs – students come to New York City from March through June, uh, and then summertime, international students and families. Fall, it's families and seniors and corporate groups. Holidays, it's everybody. January and February, it's nobody. Uh, it's it. too cold and miserable. Yeah. Uh, on a average April week, we'll probably run maybe like – 60 to 60 to 80 tours. Wow. Yeah. The busiest three, four day weekend um, in April of 2014, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we had 75 tours in four days. Holy moly. It's bonkers. That's it's, amazing. It's, it's balls to the walls. It's nuts. Um, Very cool. And it's because that's the height of the industry. That's right. when students travel yep. around Easter. Right. And that happened to be Easter, uh, right around Easter break, right? Hmm. Um, Right about now, so I was uh, this week. I think this week we got maybe like eight or eight or ten tours going this week. Sure, I had a tour yesterday. I'll have a tour Friday. Um, I've got tour guides and booking tour guides and tours left, right, and center. Awesome. Yeah, it's fun. It's really fun because I get to be a professional New Yorker. Yeah, you know, I do. I get to <laughs> be a professional like New Yorker. Yeah. Um, and you grew up in Brooklyn. I did. I don't sound like a New Yorker. I don't look like a New Yorker. I look like a hipster from Ohio, but I'm not. I'm a hipster from Ditmas Park in Flatbush. <laughs> and I'm very proud of it because I own it. That's all, all you got to do is own it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like. I love being a native Brooklynite. The back of my jacket says "Brooklyn Born and Bred Represent." I got another jacket. I got. I had it uh, 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 stitched. That says um, native, uh, "Brooklyn native." Where are you from? Yeah. And if I'm riding my bicycle wearing that jacket, people roll down their car windows and they're like, "Hey, what high school you go to?" And I'm like, "Edward R. Murrow. What's it to you?" <laughs> and they're like, "All right." <laughs> Which is funny because Edward R. Murrow is a really pansy high school. Yeah. Uh, tons of theater, no sports, <laughs> but like, eh, native. Anyway. I mean, you know, in in this day of sort of, you know. Lots and lots of what you know, hipster immigration yeah. Yeah. to New York. Hipster, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I think that uh, I think it's 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 nice to know that there are still people. I mean, I didn't grow up in Brooklyn. I grew up in the tri-state area. Right. I grew up in Westchester, but it's nice to know that there are still you know natives among. I'll us. tell you, man, we're you around. I, I met with a concierge at the William Vale Hotel. Yep. yep. A beautiful building. Holy moly! That thing just looks like. And we're here. Yeah. Right? And it's like they dropped it out of a helicopter. Or, or space. Yeah. Um, you know who William Vale was? He, he was a Brit. A 17th century landowner, I think. Oh, interesting. Of, when of I, that parcel. Oh, of that's interesting. Because when I looked it up, yeah. I mean, I just Googled it. Right, right. And there was a guy named William Vale right. who was a British uh, uh, 
He was a British pilot during World War One, huh. who was like the most decorated on pilot our side in or Britain. their side. Oh, our, the Allied the, side, Allied still. side. But he was British. Huh. Well, um, so perhaps there. I mean, there could be two Williams. The chief concierge sure. told me it's uh, it's named after the seventeenth-century landowner for that plot of land in North Williamsburg. Well, that's that's a lot better than the, and, the <laughs> what they did with the Williamsburg Savings Bank. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, they made, uh, they up, made, made up, up a name. Wayland B. Seymour. Yeah, it doesn't exist. They made it up because all the door handles said W. Yeah, and they couldn't change out. They're morons. Anyway, but he, he's also – the chief concierge over there is also a native Brooklynite. Nice. And I said to him, I'm like, we're like unicorns. We really exist. We're just hard to find. Native Brooklynites. Nice. And it's even funnier. So like – so I, I don't have uh, the, the stereotypical New York accent. Yeah. I say coffee. My wife says coffee. She grew up in Rockland County, right? Um, uh, I say hot dog. My wife says hot dog. Uh, and, and so – but I find myself code switching – Whenever I walk into an old school butcher in Carroll Gardens or baker in Cobble Hill or what have you, and like because I need to prove to them, I, I got a funny mustache, I dress right. in skinny hipster jeans, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but I'm from here. Right. I'm from here. I grew up here, and I talk about this place for a living. Yeah. So it's incredibly important that the people I'm talking to. Don't think I showed up. I moved, and I hate picking on Ohio, but it's really easy. Like I just showed up from Ohio like right. last month. <laughs> so I like, oh, you got good prosciutto. Give me some prosciutto. Oh, how you got spicy prosciutto, sweet prosciutto. How's, how's your mozzarella? Got good mozzarella. Give me some mozzarella. I don't talk like that. Right. But you feel the need to code switch to prove yep. yourself sure. to people who take a look at you because everything you know, everything's so fast, and people make these assumptions all of a sudden. It's it's crazy. It's funny. I I wish I had the stereotypical New York accent. Because it would work out my company so much better. But, when I was know. a teenager, the fam, we moved to Northern California, and the first thing I got when people said, where are you from? I said, oh, I'm from New York. They said, you don't sound like you're from New York. <laughs> I mean, this is like the early 90s. Everybody yeah. thought that you yeah. should sound like Jackie Mason if yeah. you were from yeah, New yeah. York. It's crazy. You know, the New York accent um, is actually, and there's a little bit of history, a little bit of tour, tour geek outery. Um, the New York accent is a Brooklyn accent, and the New York accent went worldwide during World War II when they made a bunch of rah-rah USA propaganda films. Black and white films, sure. most of them starring the Rat Pack, Frank Sinatra, Sammy Davis Jr., and everyone, like real tight films, maybe an hour, ten minutes tops, um, uh, two clean, crisp acts. And in every one of these films, there is always Johnny from Flatbush who's going to teach them crumps a lesson. Let me yeah. tell you something. Uh, <laughs> as a comic relief. Yeah. Because uh, Brooklyn's funny. Uh, Mel Brooks is from Brooklyn. Yep. Uh, Mel Brooks thinks that the letter K is funny. And that's why Brooklyn is funny. But that's a, a different tangent. <laughs> anyway. Ayo. I didn't expect that one coming. Anyway, so um, in, uh, there's always Johnny from Flatbush, and in Act 2, he always dies. And his last words were always, tell my Goyle in Flatbush I love her. <laughs> and he <laughs> right. dies. And that broadcast, those films, which went all over the country sure. and all over the world, is what taught the world what the New York accent sounded right. like. Yeah, of which course. I mean, that's, that's, that's the connection to it. Well, we're going to take a short break. Sure, please. Uh, when we come back, though, I want to uh, I want to turn our attention a little bit to food and Brooklyn. Food! Uh, and, you know... Cookie, open your mouth, you eat it, you close your mouth, big deal, food. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that's it. Open a shut case, we're done. We'll talk, we'll talk more about it See after you guys. the break. <laughs> <laughs> and now, a word from our sponsor.
York chefs and restaurants are proud of the food they put on the table. And serving produce that comes from local, environmentally responsible farms is a way to leave an even better taste in everyone's mouth. So when shopping for your ingredients, look for the New York State Grown and Certified Seal. It lets you know which food is grown right, right here in New York State, certifying the food that comes from local farms that meet a higher standard. You'll not only be serving local food, you'll be supporting local farmers. Learn more about the New York State Grown and Certified Program at certified.ny.gov. Welcome back to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum, and joining me in the studio today, Matt Levy, Levy's Unique New York. I practiced it again during the break. Uh, before the break, we were talking about Brooklyn and talking about New York, and so now I want to turn a little bit to food and Yum. beverage. Um, so, Matt, I wanted to know, as a, as a native Brooklynite, right. someone who grew up in Brooklyn, are there any restaurants that you, you know, like, live in your brain yeah. as, like, a perfect place that doesn't exist anymore? So I was going to spit out all the, all the standards, like Lundy's and Chicha sure. Bay, right? Um, but I'd been there, what, maybe, like, three, four times in my life before it shut down? Um, I, I never, one of the, one of my deep regrets was never making it to, um, that amazing ancient steakhouse on Fulton street. Hmm. Uh, 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 now, now of course it's like McGolmick, like the, it was an Irish name. I don't Irish remember. name, two guys, name. ampersand in the middle. Um, and now it's a horrible 99 cent store. Uh, there was a tremendous knish spot on the corner of Brighton Beach Avenue and uh, 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 Coney Island Avenue. It was either a Mrs. Stahl's Knishes or a, a competitor. And it was right there, tiny little spot. And my Eastern European Jewish grandmother, my Bubby, with whom we think I got her weird non-New York accent from, because I spent a lot of time hanging out with her in Borough Park, she used to bring us there all the time. Mm. And if I had to think about like one magical like childhood fantasy restaurant that I wish were still there, it'd be the the Kanish spot right there in the corner. Do you think that uh, Do you think that Kanishes for me Kanishes are definitely represent this sort of like old school New oh, York yeah. thing? I mean, oh, like absolutely. Going to Yana Schimmel's and you know <sighs> before going to the bars when I was a teenager, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I what else? As a young as a as a teenager, I miss a Grace Papaya on Eighth Street. Sixth Avenue. Yeah. Now it's a friggin' liquidaria. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. Um, especially because I used to go after midnight screenings of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, nice. That was yeah, my jam. That's a, that's a jam. I mean, uh, you know, since we're talking about late night food, mm-hmm. uh, food and beverage, I have to say that I mean, I'm glad that they reopened Kosar's. Yes. But I do miss. Not that I go out. I mean, as a dad, yeah, I don't. Right. I'm not out closing bars at four right. o'clock in the morning. No, of not. But when I used to do that on the Lower East Side and walk back home over the Williamsburg Bridge, yeah. I would get two hot bialis uh, uh, at four o'clock in the morning. Oh, uh, honey! And walk over the bridge uh, with a beer and a paper bag and that was the end of the night uh, and like, to me that's like the perfect end to a new york night out my jewish stomach's doing the acid reflux and in, in like <laughs> that desire like hot hot desire that was my that was my, my 3 a.m grace papaya recession special yeah at a buck 75 for two hot dogs and a, right and a exactly. colada man oh yeah amazing so uh 
Let's talk about uh, covert cocktails. Sure, by all means. Um, you uh, you have an operation called the Covert Cocktail Club. I do. And uh, you know, when I first heard the name, I thought to myself, "Oh, it must be about like, you know, having cocktails in weird places, like having you know, like it's having kind cocktails." Of a weird you know, place. I mean, like the guys in the beach who like drive around and you know, like ride around, and you can get a cocktail. Or there used to be a guy years ago. Um, I remember with either a battery powered or a hand powered blender. <laughs> In Central Park on the back of his bike, and you could, like, get a margarita. Oh, man. I remember the, the bicycle-powered blender that transportation alternatives would, would right. yeah, show yeah, up yeah. Every, so yep. at their parties. Havana um, Outpost, I think, had one, Yeah, too. they got one. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's kind, of a, it's kind of a weird space in so much as it is a speakeasy in my house. I've got a lovely house. Um, and I like to make cocktails. I'm, a, I'm an amateur. I'm a mixologist amateur. Uh, but I like the idea of inviting strangers into my house and making them drinks. Cause Sounds great. Why not, right? Well, I mean, I mean, supper clubs have been a thing now Precisely. for a long time. Precisely. And so why not have a cocktail club? And let's say, for example, if because it's a maximum capacity of four people, I might take six or seven if the occasion required it, demanded it. But let's say all four of those people know each other. Not like you walk into a sure. bar or walk into a, uh, a cafe and, you know, a bunch of different collections of people. No. All that reservation that group of people know each other and they all decide to trek out to my neck of the woods in bushwick and show up and have a drink i become the stranger in my own house because they all know each other sure none of them know me right and so there's a definite level of trust involved in that you're walking into some strange person's row house and sitting down in their kitchen counter and looking at a menu because we've got menus of contemporary and classic cocktails and deciding what you want and also nibbling on the food because there's a mousse-bouche and trusting that, A, I'm not going to drug you or like kind of doing your, sure. pulling your funny business, but that the experience can be as professional and as uh, 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 just a comp- uh, um, 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 what's the phrase I'm looking for when you uh, do a, a, a Damn it, another thing, gone. All right, we'll get back to it. But anyway, that kind of experience is a complete experience. Right. Uh, totally removed from the whole idea of nightlife experience or the speakeasies of the Lower East Side experience or dive bar experience. Right, right. So that's the idea behind it. It's fun. It's cool. And I mean, you know, and then the other side of that is that you are trusting that these people who are making a reservation aren't yes. going to like come into your house and like steal your stereo. This is absolutely absolutely on point. My buddy Dave Z was a beta tester. He came by and he's like, so you got a gun under there, under the sink? I'm like, what do you mean do I have a gun? I'm a Brooklyn hipster with a three-year-old. Right. No, I don't have a gun. It's like, yeah. well, what happens if someone tries to pull some funny business? And I don't think a lot of funny business will get pulled if only because it's such a small community of cocktail geeks. Yeah. I have stuff to protect me and my own and my house has got alarmed and, you know, but I don't expect anything ridiculous to happen. The door's locked. No, it's unlikely. I mean, right. I have to say that like, you know, being sort of like the paranoid New Yorker who has lived here long enough to remember when it was bad. Right. Um, you know, when I first heard about Airbnb, I was like, that is fucking ridiculous. I'm not going to let some stranger come into my house and like be there when I'm not there. They're going to take my stuff. Right. Absolutely. But, you know, I mean, you know, I've, I've done it. I've, you know, I've certainly gone and stayed in other people's houses. I don't go and steal their stuff. I mean, you for, know, like for Christ's sakes, we are recording a heritage food radio program in the middle of this artisanal pizzeria <laughs> slash lifestyle incubator in the heart of industrial wasteland yeah. Bushwick. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> so that's the idea behind the Covert Cocktail Club. 
Yeah. And and where do you take the inspiration from? Like, do you have any favorite bars that you? Oh like, boy! So you said you have a, a cocktail stop in the middle of your tour this it's week, which, right? Um, do you, like, do you have already in mind like where that's going to be? Like, well, uh, they wanted to go to the top of the Rock Observation Deck, which mm. for everybody out there who's got family visiting in during the holidays, Top of the Rock by far and large is the superior observation deck in New York City. Empire State Building is a gate to hell, and one observ- one world observation is <coughs> fine, but it's entirely indoors. So if you've got family members begging you for an observation deck, Top of the Rock. Um, so they wanted to do cocktails at 65, which is the revitalized Rainbow Room at uh, Top of the Rock right. on the 65th floor. Um, it's not going to be open by the time we want to have lunch, so I'll probably bring them to some nice spot in Midtown. Yeah. I was thinking about the new Gabriel Cruther restaurant uh, on 42nd and 6th, or maybe even, I don't know, maybe the 21 Club. Yeah. Um, something classy, something... I. For my clients, at least for tourists uh, who want the New York experience, they would rather have, like, the classic New York cocktail. A Manhattan or a martini at the bar at uh, 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 Keene's. Sure. With the mutton chops. Yeah. Right. Yep. Um, for New Yorkers, though, it's all the Lower East Side and East Village. Right. All of it. Right. I get my haircut and a bunch of get, uh, and cocktails at Blind Barber. Right. Wonderful place. Pouring ribbons. Spectacular. Um, I like cocktail bars with menus. So Attaboy is great for what they do uh, and who they are, but I like menus because I want to see what's going into something and how it's being prepared. Sure. Well, and I, I mean, I think you, as someone who's making your own cocktails, right. you want to know that. Absolutely. I often am totally just like put my hands in the, you know, put myself in the hands of the uh, of the, the mixologist right. or, the you know, because I want to try something new and you can tell me what's in it after you make it. I don't right. really care. Yeah, so I guess coming from the as a, as a hobbyist, coming from the flip side of the bar, the mixing side of the bar, I want to have more information before I place my order right. than otherwise. So for a day like today, where it's like overcast, Ugh. rainy, like thirty eight degrees outside, what's right. your what's your cock, what's your go to cocktail? Like to like if it was like four thirty right now, like what, would we, what would we be drinking? <laughs> Oh man, I wish it was four thirty right now. Um, it's happy hour somewhere. It's I, I used to work with a guy that said that every day at lunch. He had a <laughs> twenty-four ounce Budweiser in a paper bag. Wow, that's some working. That's a that's a working job, man. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, <laughs> not like this. This is not a working job. Um, it depends on I when I drink, uh, I always choose my spirit first and then spin out from there. So it would definitely, it would definitely, this kind of overcast, dreary, drizzly day would definitely be uh, whiskey, rum, maybe if I'm feeling saucy, mezcal-based spirit. Hmm. Um, One of the drinks on the uh, Cover Cocktail Club menu is called a modified mezcal Hatton, in which it's a Manhattan, but I swap out the rye for mezcal, swap out the vermouth for rhubarbaro. Which mm. is a rhubarb amaro, oh, um, and uh, do a flamed orange peel, and it is spectacular. That sounds good. I should. I have a bottle of mezcal. Someone brought me, and I'm not like tequila and mezcal yeah. do almost nothing for me. I don't really like them that much. Do a mezcal so Hatton, baby. I should try that because a Manhattan is my like. I mean, rye is, is a go to for me. And so. because it, because it's a, a rhubarb amaro, the whole thing's just vegetal and green and grassy and smoky. Oh, it's mm. wonderful. Um, last night I made a drink because um, it's a little kind of overcasty and such. It was it was called a Hallelujah from a brandy based bar out in San Francisco. I got the recipe from Imbibe, and it was an an ounce of uh, uh, agricole rum, an ounce of brandy. I use apple brandy, half ounce of vermouth, and then like bar spoons of grenadine, lime, and some bitters. Hmm. Uh, really nice and roasty and kind of warming. And you make your own bitters, right? I do. 
What do you, uh, what do you have cooking cooking now? Um, last batch I was proudest of, which I don't have anything right now, right now. But the last batch I was proudest of, and the next batch, which would be what I uh, reverberate, uh, recreate, would be uh, a pomegranate hatch chili uh, type of bitters, which starts out sweet and tart and segues into spice at the back of the throat. Uh, applicable for use in white rum drinks uh, and mezcal, the aforementioned mezcal, to kind of ramp up that spicy, spicy, fruity thing going on. Cool. Yeah. So uh, we're, we're getting getting close to, to out of time, but I do want to touch on, um, we are sitting in a pizza place. Right? Yum, pizza! So I want to touch on pizza as mm-hmm. a New York food stuff mm-hmm. and as someone who grew up here mm-hmm. um, in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you do you have a favorite of, of like, course. the old school and a favorite of the new school? How do you break it up? So I'm partial uh, to Saragina for new school uh, in Bed-Stuy yep. uh, because it's where I got married. Oh, very nice. <laughs> or at least had, had the reception. Got married at the community garden across the street on Halsey and uh, Lewis and then had the reception at Saragina. Um, it's my wife's favorite pizza in New York City. Uh, hi, honey. Uh, it's delicious. Great pizza, great atmosphere. And before they painted the outside of the place, it really was one of those Roberta-esque type, yep. where am I? Yeah. This is a soul food joint and a now organic, but back then, straight up Korean greengrocer yep. and the Bulletproof Chinese. Yep. And what's this place in the corner? Um, and now they've got signs of it. So it, a bit of the mystique is gone. Um, old school, my greatest, not my greatest, one of my top foodie-based regrets is the fact that I went to high school an avenue away from Dom DeMarco and DeFara's Pizza and did not know about it oh, wow. and had shitty Avenue M generic <laughs> Italian pizza my entire high school career, left Brooklyn to go to college in Boston in 98, came back in 03, and everyone is a fucking foodie. Yep. And I went to DeFaris for the first time and suffered the same way that everybody else did, one avenue shy oh, of that man. goddamn pizzeria. <laughs> Let me tell you, that's my DeFaris. It's, it's not pizza. It's manna from heaven. Yeah. It's spectacular. I've, act, I've actually never been. And one, oh, one of the reasons, Harry. One of the reasons I've never been is that I think waiting in line for food is bullshit. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. But it's not food. It's manna from That's, heaven. I, I mean, I hear you now. Right. And yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's, at some point, I, w- I will make it. I have to say, for me, my favorite old school, mm. I, although I haven't been since they had the fire and they rebuilt, is Totono's. Oh, I was going to say Totono's. I was going to say Totono's. Totono's is a, like a hair's breadth uh, number two. Yeah. No question. I mean, just such a like, just like straight ahead vibe uh-huh. and just like killing it. They're such, <laughs> they're such assholes. And oh, God they are. Bless them. God yeah. bless them for being yeah. assholes. I was there at the tour group. Brought, brought them down to Coney Island. Four-hour Brooklyn tour, driving around, um, and had pizza to Tonos. Spectacular. Yeah. Uh, also good, I think super underrated and underlisted, John's of Bleecker Street, man. Yeah. John's I mean, of Bleecker Street is fantastic absolutely. pizza. I don't like that the other locations are not as good. No, of course not. The one on Bleecker is no, a real... Like, it's, it's, it's the John's of Bleecker Street. Yeah. It's not called John's of 44th Street. It's called John's of Bleecker Street. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And then just Daniel Slice joint. My question, when the MTA jacks their subway fare next year to three bucks a ride, is a slice is the cost of a slice of pizza gonna go up equally? Oh, that's an interesting question. You know, there's, this a, the there's an economic yeah, the economic metric. <laughs> Didn't see that one coming. This is good. David's having a really good time in there. I, 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 I need. We need to. I need to talk to him. I think we need more sound effects. Oh, and feast your ears. This Absolutely. is. I think we're, this is opening up a whole new, like, <laughs> a whole new world for this show. Um. Well, what else? 
I was going to ask about your mustache. Ask away. So, uh, you know, this is radio. You can't. We we tested earlier. You can't hear the mustache. No, yeah, we can't hear the mustache. Uh, but Matt has a really, really big mustache. Well, and has you. the entire time that. I've known you for years, and you've always had a mustache. You're very sweet, Harry. Thank um, you. So I want to know about sort of what was the inception of the mustache. I used to have. I mean, as a as a sort of piece of backstory, I used to have a mustache like that. I had I a mustache it. like that when I met my wife. Ah, I miss it. And she called it the wife repeller. I didn't even know you back then. And, and we it. didn't even get together until I <laughs> shaved it off. Like it was not clearly not even like not even an option. And then I grew my beard yeah. and the full, you know, I've my mustache. I've always known you with a beard. I've Good. always ha- I grew the beard shortly after we were married. Good looking beard. Um, and, you know, I think, I mean, beards run in my family. Right. I've never seen my father's chin in all oh. of my almost oh, my 40 goodness. years. Um, my brother has a beard. I have a beard. My cousins yeah. all have beards. And, yeah. you know, my my uncle, like it's a you know it's no, sort of a family trait. But it's a thing us men can do, and some women, but yeah. mostly men. Yeah. Um, the mustache story. Uh, back around Thanksgiving of '04, I was I remember distinctly. I was lying on the couch, um, and back in '04, I was really into the gangs of New York era of New York City history, 1840s through about like Victorian in the 1890s. There's before the Scorsese film came out with. Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis and Leo DiCaprio. Um, like, you know, youth gangs hanging out, dressing in crazy tuxedo, like vests and top hats and facial hair. And so I remember lying on the couch on Thanksgiving of 04, I said to myself, I'm going to grow myself an old-timey mustache because I like the history, because I used to run a tour. Don't do it so much anymore, but I used to run a tour called Hey Ho, Let's Go, Punk Rock on the Bowery, which was actually a sociological historical walking tour bar crawl that compared the gangs of New York and the punk rockers of New York. I feel like that would be hard to do now because so many of those bars yeah, are gone. it's gone. Uh, you, uh, a grassroots tavern on St. Mark's. Yep, still there. A um, longtime Brooklyn Kitchen customer is one of the owners. Uh, and we used to go to uh, uh, Mars Bar, of course, gone. Yep, yep. Um, then we used to go to Idle Hands Tavern, gone. Yep. Um, I don't know where I'd bring people otherwise for a second. I mean, bar. the Nightingale is gone. Uh, Continental's gone. Yeah, it's gone, gone, gone. Anyway, uh, wait, Continental on 3rd Avenue? Yeah, isn't it gone? No, it's still there. Still there? I was there last week. Still there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Anyway, which way? So, facial hair. Facial hair is a cultural iconography of to be young with energy and in part of a gang. And it just started growing it, 2004. And then about 2007, 2008, the speakeasy bar craze hit New York City. Might have been a year earlier. Might have been 06, 07. And all of a sudden, having had the only old-timey wax mustache in New York City, (laughs) I started seeing motherfuckers all over the place. (laughs) With the the whole nine, with like the boater hat and the arm garters, the whole like uh, Dreamland Orchestra scene uh, on Governor's Island, right? And I'm like, where did all these fucking mustaches come from? And a little bit, a little bit like the postscript to the story is that uh, about 2011 or 2012, a buddy of mine who works at the Tenement Museum, he said to me, he said, so Matt, I was at work and I overheard two, two co-workers of mine who I'm pretty sure don't know you. Know you as a tour guide, but don't know you other than that. Um, I overheard them saying to each other, you know, that Matt Levy, he had the old timey wax mustache before anybody else did. Nice. And I was like, vindication! <laughs> People have noticed. Awesome. So that's the sort of mustache. I keep cool. it trimmed. I don't yeah. grow it out too much yeah. because I'd rather be a man with a mustache attached than a mustache with a man attached. Nice. Um, I'm here all week. Try the veal. I think that, uh, I think that we should 
also make mention of the city reliquary. While Please we're, do. While, yes. we're, while we're talking about yes. history in New York, things that you were involved in. Uh, Bill Skanga was on this show. Uh, I love uh, Bill Skanga. So uh, the city reliquary, um, for those of you that have or have not listened to that episode, you should listen to it. It was episode six of Feast Your Ears, um, is um, a tiny storefront museum in Williamsburg mm-hmm. on Metropolitan Avenue next to Salty. Um, also next to Mamafuku uh, right. Milk Bar, but Salty is my beacon. On As well block. it should be. And uh, you should definitely check it out. It has a fantastic collection of things that you may not find sort of represented in other museums. It has a uh, an exhibit about the water tunnels yeah. that come, bring the water into New York City. It has Brooklyn seltzer bottles, a collection of... Um, Statue of Liberty uh, statuettes, including a grotto in the backyard. Bill We've put got about a three foot high one in a clawfoot bathtub. We got Jackie Robinson's business card. Jackie Robinson's business Jackie. card. Part of the Second Avenue Deli sign. Oh, that for, was I fine. mean, a lot of people who are listening to this may not even know what the Second Avenue Deli was. Well, it, now it's on Toidy Toid and Toid. Yeah. Because if you're the Second <laughs> Avenue Deli and you got to move, where else are you going to move to but Toidy Toid and Toid? <laughs> anyway, it's a great little museum and I'm on the board. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and so it's uh, open Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, Sundays. Uh, I like to call it a collection of collections of New York City ephemera. Yep. Uh, and we're really a nonprofit, a great little spot all about New York City. Uh, if you've never been, you should go and check it out. The Reliquary also supports people that have collections of New York things, mm-hmm. which is really cool, I think. Yeah. There was a great display of someone who had a collection of bicycles built in Queens in the 30s last oh, year. Man. Uh, my collection of LPs, which feature the Twin Towers on the covers, was displayed. What The name of that exhibit, it was a great exhibit name. What was it called? Um, the the uh, Permanent record? Record? Um, no, it was called, um, I can't even remember what we called twi- it. It was a, unbelievable. It was like a month up. It was like an up I'm for a losing, month. I'm losing my mind now. I'm sorry. See, where this no, is. No, it's okay. I just, I, I, should, I should know this. I should know this because it was my collection, it was but great, Bill named it. Great exhibit yeah. title. Yeah. I was very proud of that exhibit title. Oh, man. When they, I'll, I'll, I'll remember the steakhouse it. in Fulton Street. Great. You and remember I'll, the name of the I'll exhibit. I'll remember the name we'll of the exhibit. We'll get back to each other. Sounds good. Well, I think uh, I think we're pretty much pretty much out of time, but I definitely want to send people over to Levy's Unique New York dot com. Levy's Unique NY. Yeah. Thank Does you. someone else have? Um, no, just account? people yeah. don't find us because people are lazy. Right. Like, uh, and also covertcocktailclub.com. You can follow Matt uh, on social media at Levy's Unique New York and at Covert Cocktail Club. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at the Food Baller. And just one more appeal for your dollars at this time of year. Um, Feast Your Ears is brought to you by the Heritage Radio Network, which is a member-supported nonprofit radio station devoted to all things food and other things. I like to interview people about things that aren't just food. Uh, We need your support uh, during this end-of-the-year fundraiser. A contribution of any amount not only supports this show and the 33 other weekly programs, but comes with exclusive benefits, best-of playlists, great swag, discounted event tickets, members-only parties, and a lot more. If you like good food and you love good food radio, throw a little dough our way. You can donate to HRN by going to heritageradionetwork.org forward slash donate. And remember, no donation is too large. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Feast Your Ears. Talk to you next week. listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter 
enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.